For those joining us as visitors on the live stream, we want to tell you that we're meeting today here in full compliance with all of the restrictions imposed by the Chief Medical Officer of Alberta. As we come together in worship, we confess our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. O sovereign God, we look to you for help. We look to you for grace and peace. O Lord, do not rebuke us in your anger, nor discipline us in your wrath. Be gracious to us, O Lord, for we are languishing. Heal us, O Lord, for our bones are troubled. Our soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? As the world trembles before an enemy so small that we cannot see it, we look to you, O Almighty God. You are our fortress. You are our rock. You are our deliverance. We turn to you. We look to you. We trust in you. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's continue to worship our Lord by singing the second stanza of Psalm 91. Let us pray. O holy God, we know that you are life and that you give life. We know that you created this world good and perfect. We know that it was our sin that brought sickness, suffering, pain, and death into your perfect creation. We acknowledge, O Lord, that all the misery and death that afflict and terrify us are consequences of our turning our backs on you, the source of life. 
as we now listen to your holy law, convict us of our sin. Drive us to seek forgiveness, healing, restoration, and life in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As we gather in worship this morning, we come into the presence of a holy God. God teaches us of his holiness in the ten words of the covenant, the law of God. I'll be reading it from Deuteronomy chapter 5 this morning. God speaks these words to you, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery and you shall not steal and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife and you shall not desire your neighbor's house his field or his male servant or his female servant his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbors. The Lord Jesus Christ summarizes the law in the following manner. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love is the fulfillment of the law. Let's pray. O merciful God, 
we confess our sins before you. We confess that we have not loved you, but we've loved our idols. We confess that we have not loved our neighbors, but we've been self-centered. We confess that we have not loved holiness, but have delighted in and tolerated so much unrighteousness in our hearts, in our homes, in our lives, in our internet consumption, in the entertainment that we pursue. Father, forgive us. We claim your covenant promises. We embrace the good news you give us in Jesus Christ. We praise you that he is our righteousness. We praise you that we are forgiven and pure and holy in him. We thank you that as you pour terrible judgments upon this sinful and rebellious world, that we can find refuge in you. We thank you that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you promise to all who believe in Jesus that even if we die, yet we shall live. We thank you for your perfect love, which casts out fear. And we plead with you. We plead with you, O God, for family members and co-workers, for neighbors and acquaintances who do not know the Lord Jesus. We ask that you would draw them to yourself, that you would allow them to find, embrace, and hold on to the sure promises of the gospel. We plead with you, O Lord, may many more unworthy sinners like us find refuge in you, our rock, our redeemer. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now let's respond to the holy law of God by singing of our rock and our refuge, stanza three of Psalm 91. Let us pray. O gracious God, thank you that you are a God who speaks. 
Thank you that your words are life. Thank you that your word gives life. Speak to us now, O Lord, together with our neighbors, with our community, with our nation, in fact, together with people all around the world. We turn to you because we need you. We need you to speak to us, to instruct us, to comfort us, to show us the way as we navigate these turbulent, anxiety-filled times. So speak to us, O Lord, in the reading and the preaching of your holy word. We ask in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's open the holy word of God to Revelation chapter 6, and we'll be reading this chapter. Revelation chapter 6. Hear the word of God. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, 
and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Let us pray. O compassionate God, our text speaks of fearful and frightening realities. O Lord, comfort us with the good news, with the gospel. Help us sinners to see and understand that to hate you, to turn our back on you, is to live in constant fear of death. Help us to see and understand that you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Teach us, O Lord, that we do not need to fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though our lives and the whole world be turned upside down. O Lord, give us hope in a world of despair. Give us the assurance of unfading life in a world terrorized by the fear of death. As we sinners turn away from trusting in our own resources, as we come to realize that we are not in control, as we look to Jesus as our only hope, send your angels to surround us, and carry us through the dangers until finally we are in your loving presence in eternal glory. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's sing of God's care and protection. Psalm 91, stanza 4, we sing in our hearts. The text for this morning's worship service, Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. 
When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, gathered here and by the internet gathered in your homes, what is going on in the world? Are you weirded out by what's happening? Our society, our economy are grinding to a halt. The stock market is crashing. People are being laid off. Stores and restaurants are closing. There are empty shelves in the supermarkets. How is that even possible? Those are the kind of pictures we expect to see on the news from countries far away in great turmoil, perhaps Venezuela, but not here. But our daily routines have been stood on their head. We don't even dare to touch each other, to shake hands, to hug one another. What is going on? Brothers and sisters, we need to do what we always need to do as God's people. We need to take a step back. We need to look at the big picture. What are we learning? What are we learning about life and the universe and everything? Now, this is a great time to test our worldviews, isn't it? For those who have a materialistic worldview... Everything is just random chance, just molecules in motion. There is no overarching meaning. Human beings are just walking bags of protoplasm. And if you're consistent with this worldview, which many profess in our day and age, then why should we care? Pain And suffering are just a natural part of life. In the evolutionistic view, there is no reason to object to a virus which takes out the weak, the elderly, the infirm, the vulnerable. There is no basis for being upset about that. Because in a materialistic worldview, there is no what ought to be. All there is, is what is. Yeah, a lot of people profess the materialistic worldview. You know, facts are stubborn things. And it is in a time of great crisis that our lofty worldviews come crashing headlong into reality. Because we know, deep down, that life is not random. That our universe has meaning. 
Let the weak, the elderly, the infirm, the vulnerable have value and need to be loved and protected. We know deep down as human beings created in the image of God, we know that suffering and disease and pain and death are wrong. They are intruders. They do not belong. They are not welcome. They are not supposed to be here. And to understand where these intruders come from, we need to turn to history. God instructs us in his word about the history of the universe and the human race. And what does he tell us? He tells us this. Sin came into the world through one man. And death through sin. And so death spread to all men. What does the Bible tell us? It tells us that disease and suffering, pain and death, these were not part of the original created universe. These are things that we have imported. The first human beings, Adam and Eve, turned their backs on God. Now God is life. So if you turn your back on God, you turn your back on life itself. You embrace death and everything that goes together with death. And what do we see when we look all around us in this fallen, groaning, and broken, sin-polluted world? We see the consequences of the choice that the human race made. It was not a good choice. We chose foolishly. But we know the rest of the story, don't we? We know a God who so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We know Jesus who told us, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. We know Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. We know a God who has promised us that Jesus is coming again, that he will make all things new that he will scrub this tired, old, groaning, sin-polluted world with cleansing fire and usher in the new heavens and the new earth. We know a God who says the day is coming when he will wipe every tear from our eye. On that day when we dwell with God, when death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And we know that this is true. Because this absolutely awesome redemption plan is based on the rock-solid, undeniable, historical fact that Jesus was born, that Jesus suffered, 
that Jesus died, that Jesus paid for sin with his blood, that Jesus reconciled sinners to God, that Jesus rose from the grave, that Jesus ascended into heaven, that Jesus sits at the right hand of God on the throne of the universe. That all authority in heaven and earth have been given to Jesus, the new Adam, the last Adam, the new head of the new human race, the one who gets it right. And that is the big picture that we need to have in mind as we consider our text this morning. In the midst of all the fear and anxiety and turmoil of the COVID-19 pandemic. Look at chapter 6. And look at verse 1. What's happening here? The Lamb has taken the scroll. There's the scroll that John sees in his vision. He saw it in the last chapter. And he was terribly upset because nobody could open it. But then suddenly look at chapter 5 verse 9. Suddenly, there is someone who can open it. It is the Lamb. And the heavenly beings sing in chapter 5, verse 9. They sing to the Lamb, to the Lord Jesus Christ, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Now what is the scroll that the Lamb takes and is able to open? It is the scroll of history. On it are written all the decrees of God for that time between the ascension of the Lord Jesus and his imminent return. It is the scroll of history. And every time he opens one of the seals, he sets in motion yet one more aspect of the historical events that occur between his ascension in the first century and his imminent return in glory to judge the living and the dead. So what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that Jesus is on the throne. The Bible tells us that Jesus is in control. The Bible tells us that Jesus sovereignly directs every event, big and small, that happen in history. Things happen because Jesus says. And in the first verses of this chapter, we see we read about that, didn't we? Various seals being opened, various aspects of world history set in motion. And we can recognize the last 2,000 years in these descriptions in the first verses of the chapter. But we're going to pay attention to the fourth seal. That's our text for this morning. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. The heavenly servant commands, come. So things aren't happening randomly. They are sovereignly directed from heaven. And what comes? Verse 8. A pale horse. And the word pale here has the idea of kind of a very sickly pallid, a very sickly green color, a 
putrid color of sickness and disease and death. And that fits with who, who the writer is. The writer's name is death. And Hades follows him. And the, the language of the, of the text here indicates that Hades just keeps on following him. They go together. They come together. There's death and the place of the dead. And they were given authority. See again the supreme sovereignty of God. Death is called out because God the Son breaks the seal and authority is given. It is limited authority over a fourth of the earth. It's a lot of people, but not everyone. Their authority is not total. It is restricted. What's happening here? Well, these are the consequences of our sin. Death and sickness, violence, conflict. These are not things that were in the creation that God made. We imported these things. We caused them to be. And that's the way the world is. But God sovereignly rules even over the consequences of our sin. He is supreme. He is sovereign. He is outside time and history. And he sovereignly rules even over sin and its consequences. He averts all evil or he turns it to our benefit. He is able to make all things work together for the good of those who love him. What's going to happen with this rider, with this horse? Well, they're given authority to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. Now, where does that come from? If you know your Bible, you've read it before. Ezekiel 14.21 is one example in the Old Testament. Let's just turn there for a moment. Ezekiel Chapter 14, verse 21. Ezekiel 14, 21, where the word of God says this. For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four disastrous acts of judgment, sword, famine, wild beasts, and pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. So you see those same four things here. And there are other spots in the Old Testament where these four things come together. They are signs of God's righteous judgment upon sin, upon disobedience, upon rebellion. Well, why? Why does God send righteous judgment? Because that's what sinners have asked for. There's a rule written into the very fabric of creation. You reap what you sow. If the farmer sows wheat in the springtime, then when harvest comes around, he's not going to be harvesting cauliflower, is he? You reap what you sow. And what have we reaped? Or what have we, what have we, what have we sown, rather? We've turned our backs on God. 
We've turned our backs on life. We said, we choose disobedience. We choose death. We told God to take a hike. We want to run our own lives and our own world. We don't need you. Go away. And God says, well, this is what it looks like. Are you sure? There's nothing more insane than what the sinner does to tell God to go away. It's like telling oxygen to go away. You're depriving yourself of life itself. And so we we look at this scene here in Revelation chapter 6, and we're reminded of the, the plagues that God sent upon Egypt. You remember the ten plagues in Egypt. What, what was happening there? The plagues meant different things for different people, didn't they? For God's people there in Egypt who were suffering under the injustice and, and the slavery and the oppression, the plagues were signs of impending liberation. God was shaking things up. But for the Egyptians, the plagues were judgment and death. For God's people, they were promises of freedom and life. The exodus was coming. The world of cruel slavery and violence was coming to an end. But for the Egyptians, the plagues were signs of divine wrath and their imminent destruction. And that's the case with crises and catastrophes all throughout history. That's what they're proclaiming. They're proclaiming that the end is near. That this broken, sin-filled world is coming to an end. That things will not go on like this forever. That there is a better world coming. And that is incredible comfort for those who hate injustice and abuse and corruption, and suffering, and violence, and death. Is it painful when God shakes things up in the world? Yes, it is. Is it frightening? Does it hurt? Well, yes. But for those who seek refuge in the Lord, for those who belong to God's people, these pains, these terrifying things are rather like the birth pangs, like the painful contractions of a woman in labor. They're unpleasant. They hurt. But they are promises of new life, aren't they? Something good is about to happen. And so as God's people, brothers and sisters, we see, we witness the birth pangs of a new age. And God is giving us a divine tap on the shoulder here. Because here we are in the Egypt of sin. Here we are in a broken, sinful world. And our lives are so comfortable. Were. We've got our jobs. We've got our entertainment. We've got our comfortable homes. We've got our vacations. And perhaps, just perhaps, we're starting to think that this is what it's all about. I need money. I need health. 
I need wealth. I need entertainment. I need leisure. And life is good. Jesus reminds us that we ought not to get too comfortable in the world the way it is. Turn to Matthew chapter 24 for a moment. Matthew 24 verse 32. Jesus has just spoken about the signs of the end of the age. Matthew 24, 32. We'll actually start at at verse 29. We'll start reading there. Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he, the Son of Man, you know that he is near at the very gates. Jesus told us, that great catastrophes are going to happen, that the world will be turned upside down. And Jesus told us, when you see all these things, you know that he is very near at the very gates. Now these teachings of the Lord Jesus are great comfort to the believer. And they help us to reset our priorities and what we long for and what we hope for. They're a great comfort to the believer. But they're also a gracious call to the unbeliever. You know, later on in Revelation chapter 16, we we read of the reaction of those who do not love God as he pours out these judgments upon the world, as he begins the process of destroying the old to make way for the new. Check check that out in Revelation chapter 16 for a moment, 16 verse 10. Revelation 16, 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed God. They cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. So that's the reaction of some who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. The more that God confronts them with the consequences of choosing sin, of choosing death, of turning their backs on him, the more he shows them, well, this is what it looks like to live without me, the more they dig in their heels and shake their fists and gnaw their tongues in pain and curse him 
You know what? That's not the way things have to be. There's another reaction which unbelievers can have. And we see that back in Egypt during the 10 plagues. There were different reactions amongst those who were not of God's people back in Egypt in the 10 plagues. If you turn to Exodus chapter 9, Exodus chapter 9, verse 18. Now God says in 9.18, I'm going to send hail, very heavy hail to fall, such as never been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. So, so get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, because any person, any beast that's out in the field is going to die. That's how bad the hail is going to be. And of course, God's people are spared this judgment. But but look at verse 20. Look what happens in verse 20. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. God spoke words of judgment. God brought catastrophe. But for those who listened to the word of the Lord, for those who heeded the warning, there was safety, there was salvation, there was deliverance, there was life. And some of the Egyptians feared the word of the Lord, and they responded, and they believed, and they took action. And that, beloved That means that we have a double longing in this time of pandemic. We long in the first place for the birth pangs to come to an end, for the new age to dawn. We can't wait to see the Lord Jesus face to face. And we know that these catastrophes and crises are not judgments of God on us. Because we know that Jesus has paid for our sins. We know that our curse was put upon him. We know that his righteousness is given to us. And so we know that these are the rumblings and shakings which portend the destruction of this corrupt and sin-polluted world. And the coming of the world to come. World without end. And we long for it. We cry out in our prayers, Lord, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Even if the whole process is frightening and frankly terrifying, we still want it to happen because we want to see a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwell, in which there are no more sin and death and suffering. So that's our longing. We long for Jesus to return. At the same time, we love our family members and our neighbors who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we long, in the second place, we long for them to turn away from death and come to him who is the way, the truth, and the life. We long for them to believe on the word of the Lord to bow the knee, to confess that Jesus is Lord. 
That's our double longing. We can't wait for Jesus to come. But at the same time, we say, oh, Lord Jesus, bring many more sinners from death to life. So, little flock, do not fear. Jesus is Lord. God is in control. A new world is dawning. And God is graciously calling us to tear our focus away from the way that the world is right now. And to long for the way that the world will be. God is graciously calling many more sinners from death to life. And this pandemic is just one more divine tap on the shoulder. Jesus is telling us and all people, wake up. Focus. Get with the program. This life, the way it is, is not the greatest good. This world, the way it is, is not the way things have to, or, or to be. This life is not the life. This life is not what we're living for because something far better is coming. King Jesus is coming. And may that fill you with delight and not with terror. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing in our hearts the fifth stanza of Psalm 91. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we rely on your love. And we ask you to defend us from the terrors that surround us. We know your name. You've stamped it onto our foreheads in holy baptism. And we cry to you, O oh Lord, and we know you answer us. So come to us in the strife. 
of this mortal life. Rescue us, O Lord. Guide us safely through all the dangers and trials and afflictions of this broken world. And bring us, O Lord, bring us to that day when all is well again. O Lord, when we will live with you in perfect joy and peace forever. Lord, for your love, we thank you. For coming to our rescue, we thank you. For loving us in Christ, we thank you. For giving us the sure promise and hope of eternal life, we thank you. For these birth pains which herald the dawning of a new age, the birth of a renewed universe, we thank you. Lord, we pray for our dead and dying world. We confess that it is our sin and rebellion that has brought disease, despair, and death into your perfect creation. We confess the great injustice in our land against the poor, the vulnerable, the oppressed. We confess the horrible slaughter of hundreds of thousands of little children murdered in what should be the safest place in the world in their own mother's womb. And we confess the great sexual perversion and broken marriage vows and unfaithfulness which are endemic in our land. We confess that we have not prayed enough nor stood up enough for the truth nor warned our neighbors enough about the terrible consequences of sin, nor shared enough the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ with our community and our nation. We acknowledge that we humans are reaping what we have sown, that the wages of sin is death. And yet, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Hear us as we cry out to you as a congregation, a community, a nation. Give us the grace of repentance and faith. O Lord, drive us to seek Christ, who has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. O Lord, we look to Christ, by whose wounds we are healed. And so, Lord, we plead for mercy on our nation. We pray for our prime minister and our premier 
and their respective cabinets. Give them wisdom and discernment as they struggle to ascertain the best way to deal with the public health and social and economic aspects of responding to the pandemic. We pray for our chief medical officer, Dr. Dina Hinshaw. We thank you for her calm, professional expertise and instructions and for her work, her untiring work to promote the public health in our province. Give her and her colleagues wisdom and courage and strength and discernment and health. We pray for the scientists who are working hard to make a vaccine or to find some medication which might help people suffering from COVID-19. We pray for members of this church working on the front lines. And we pray for their colleagues, doctors, nurses, their support staff as they work tirelessly and selflessly taking care of the sick and the vulnerable. Strengthen them, sustain them, encourage them, bless their work, bless them, bless their families. We pray for the sick and for their loved ones. We pray for healing. We pray for those who are very vulnerable, who are perhaps fearful and anxious. We pray for protection and for blessing upon the public health measures that have been implemented to slow the spread of disease. We pray for patience and comfort to those who are undergoing treatment and recuperation, for those who are in self-isolation or have been ordered to isolate. And we pray for those who have lost loved ones to this disease. Lord, may they find comfort and hope in Jesus Christ. Lord, at this moment, we also want to pray for our brother and sister, Terry and Margaret Falk. As last Friday, Margaret's brother, Jim Eelhart, passed away from cancer. We pray that you would comfort the family, Lord, that you would gently hold them up in your everlasting arms as they mourn their loss. And we pray for our nation. We pray for our province. We pray for our community. We pray for our neighbors. And we pray for our communion, for this congregation gathered now, a few here and many at home. Oh Lord, how we need you. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We ask that you would gently encourage those who are afraid. That you would provide for those who are in need. 
Lord, as we look in the community, we see so many good things. We see so much open-handed and generous giving and mutual support. And we praise you for that, Lord, as, as human beings are reflecting in these ways the fact that they're created in your image, that they were created to love, not to hate, to promote life not death. We thank you, Lord, that in this way we are still privileged to reflect your image and your character. And we pray for patience and perseverance as many of us have to stay home from work or school. Help us to adjust to new schedules and routines, to treat one another with grace and kindness and love and patience and compassion as the hours run into days and the days into weeks and perhaps the weeks into months. Provide for those who are seeing sources of income reduced or even completely drying up. We pray for workers without work. We pray for small businesses without business. And we look to you, O Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. And we plead with you, O Lord. Put an end to this pandemic. But even more importantly, we plead with you, O Lord. Put an end to the more terrible pandemic which afflicts all people on earth, the pandemic of sin, which in 100% of the cases leads to pain and to suffering and to death. O Lord, open the eyes of us sinners so that we learn to flee not only from the symptoms, but in the first place, that we learn to flee from the root cause of all human misery. O Holy Spirit, graciously change our hearts. Work in us a holy hatred for sin, for the disobedience which brings death. O God, drive us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us the gift of repentance and faith. And Lord, as you drive history forward towards the last day, help us to look forward to it, even as the signs of your coming are sometimes terrifying. Let us so long for your return in glory to judge the living and the dead, that even when the fig trees do not blossom and the vines yield no fruit, Though the olives be a failure, though the field be barren, though the economy implode, though work be scarce, yet we may sing and worship and rejoice in the Lord. O Lord, help us to see beyond the current tribulation and exalt in your power as you bring us ever closer to the new heavens and the new earth where there is no more sickness, no more death, no more tears, but only 
inexpressible joy and love and peace forever and ever. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord on the way out, or perhaps you did it on the way into the building. We're now going to sing our final song, a hymn of praise, hymn number 14. About 2,500 years ago, the prophet Habakkuk couldn't figure out what God was doing. God was coming in judgment, and the prophet didn't understand how it all fit together how this could possibly be good for God's people. But he comes finally to the conclusion that he simply needs to have faith, to live by faith, to live by trust. God is good. What God does is good. Even when what he does terrifies me, I will trust. I will believe. I will hope in him. Even if the cupboards are bare and the economy is in shambles, I will believe. Because God is sovereign. God is working out his good and sovereign purposes for his glory, for his people's salvation. And so I will praise. That's the conclusion that Habakkuk comes to. And so let's do do that now. Let's praise God. Let's sing some of the words of his prophecy as we sing hymn 14, stanzas 1, 2, 3, 8, 9, and 10. We stand and we sing in our hearts.
receive the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.